Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Amen. Well, I'm excited to start a new series this weekend. It's called How to Live with Other Human Beings and Not Lose Your Mind. And just full transparency, this is actually a conversation we had about five years ago when we just launched the church. Uh, this was something that kind of came as I, uh, from, from a pastor in Chicago, Bill Hybels, a friend of mine in Akron, Ohio, kind of synthesis of all of that. Um, but I found it so helpful when we went through this. It had reverberations when we first started. I wanted to pull that back, kind of adapt it a little bit, and just think and chew on these things again. Uh, because, and here's the reason, is because relationships are tied directly to our relationship with God. It matters to the heart and the mind of God. So when we talk about relationships, this isn't like a self-help, Dr. Phil kind of way. This is a spiritual thing. That's why we talk about relationships, because you cannot separate your relationships with one another from your relationships with God. They're dynamically tied together, and it is God that tied them to that together. I want to show you this a little bit. My, my premise is this, that our greatest joys and our greatest pains actually come from relationships. Don't they? Raise, let me just try this here. Raise your hand, quick survey, raise your hand if you've been hurt by another human being. Okay? Now, raise your hand if some of your greatest joys in life have come from another human being. Now, husbands, if you have not raised your hands, we're going to go back to question number one, and then we're going to be in trouble all over again, okay? Now, let me take this another level here uh, more deeply. How many of you have learned something about the heart and the mind of God from another relationship? So you saw someone who was generous, you saw someone who was compassionate, and you learned something about the heart of God from being in a relationship with another human being. Okay, let me flip that around to the negative now. How many of you has your view of God somehow been distorted or twisted or tainted because of some relational experience that you had? Yeah, that's happened too, hasn't it? Now, here's the deal. We're made in the image of God. That is a foundational truth for those who are in a Judeo-Christian worldview that we're not made by accident. God made us in his image. And that means that God is a relational being. He's in relationship with himself. He's in relationship with his created spiritual beings. He's in relationship with us. And when we're made in his image, it means that we're made to be in relationship with one another. And this isn't like a cultural, social thing. This is a spiritual humanity issue. And the reason that we're drawn to each other for companionship and love and acceptance. The reason that we're sometimes have this discord between us and there's pain and there's hurt is because that's just what it means to be created by God in his image and to have this as a part of our humanity. When you read the Bible, man, it's all over the place that we're created to be in relationship with God. It's a God-designed thing. And so I wrote this in my notes. You can write this down too if you want, that God created us in such a manner that we cannot fully understand him without other people being central into our lives. And the opposite is true, that we can't understand other people without Christ being central 
in our lives. And you can't separate those out. You can't silo those out. And Jesus makes this crystal clear in a, in, a, in a segment of scripture called the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. This is what it says. It says, one of them, a lawyer, goes to Jesus, asks him a question, tests him and says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? There's 633 of them. Boil it down for me. What's the, what's the singular, what's the, what's the big thing we need to know? And this is what Jesus says. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. He says, the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. And so Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be one of my disciples, this is what needs to be central in your lives, that you're going to pursue and learn to love God, and then you're going to, just like that, you're going to learn to love your neighbor as yourself. It's really fascinating, uh, kind of what he says next. He says, all of the law, all of the prophets hang on this. That's what Pastor Larry Humber talked about last week when he said the law, all of that, the, the Ten Commandments, it all is, is, is underpinned by this relational dynamic that we're created to be in relationship. So he's saying, in essence, listen, if you don't love me and if you don't love your neighbor, the rest of the Bible, none of it's going to make any sense to you. Because it's all about relationship. And we, we twist and don't understand it properly when we don't understand it in that context. So in essence, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, if you love me, if you understand my heart and my mind, then you're going to love the things that I love as well. And you can't have my heart. And you can't follow my teachings. And you can't be fully devoted to me. And you can't obey me if you don't love people because... That's what I do, and that's what, that's what God does. That's the heart and the mind of God. He says, I stepped out of heaven to obey the Father because he asked me to because at the core, we, the Trinity, the Godhead, we love our creation. And Jesus would say, I have lived so that I could reveal the heart and the mind of God, what it means to, to, to understand who God is. We understand that when we look at Jesus, and he came to help God make sense to us. And I died, and I suffered to provide forgiveness and salvation to human beings. And so if you're going to love me, if you're going to follow me, you're going to love the things that I love, and that includes other people, because that's the kind of heart that I've given my followers. So you cannot talk about loving God without talking about our relationships with each other. And so that's why we're going to talk about this. It's not just so that you get along well with other people. It's so that you understand what it means to follow and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so for the next couple weeks, we're going to press into this. And specifically, we're going to look into one aspect of our relationships with one another. And this is an element that has to be in place in order for us to even have a relationship with God and with other people in the first place. This is an element that's familiar for us, but it's often misunderstood. It's an element that as many times we offer it, but when we offer it, it's kind of an incomplete fashion. And so we'll throw it around, but we don't really fulfill it all the way. So as a result, in our culture, we just use it with a kind of a cavalier, insincere kind of way. And it's an element that can never be demanded, but it can always be given freely. 
So I can't demand it, but I can always extend it. And it's a key element in our relationship with God. And listen, if you take this out of the equation, we can't have a relationship with God in the first place. And it's a leading indicator that we actually have a relationship with God, Jesus would say. And it's one of the most fundamental elements to learn to live with other human beings without losing your mind. And it's the element of forgiveness. Element of forgiveness. Now, the Bible has a ton to say about forgiveness. You don't have to look hard. In fact, you could just Google scripture forgiveness and your screen will blow up. There's just gobs of them. And here are quick examples. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive others for the transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Colossians 3. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as in God, Christ also has forgiven you. Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I... should Shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus says to him, I say to you, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven times. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it does not brag, it's not arrogant, it doesn't act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Listen, if you just skim across the Bible, if you just scrim, skim across scripture, you're going to find that it's a major theme. Forgiveness is a major theme from the beginning all to the way to the end. And if you dive in just a little bit deeper, it just starts to scream at you. God's forgiveness for you, your forgiveness for other people. You need to forgive. So listen, my goal for the next four to five weeks is not to convince you that you need to forgive because that's not hard. I already did it. It's right there. It's in scripture. It's not whether or not it's in there. It's not the directive of forgiveness. It's the practice of forgiveness. The question is not, does God want me to do this? The question, that's an easy one. The question is really, how in the world do I even do that? And it's hard, and it's confusing, and it's complicated, and, and how do we live this out both in receiving it from God and extending it to other people? And so we're just going to sit in that space for the next couple weeks through the confusion of it all, through the layers of it all, because it's so vital in our relationship with God and it's vital in our relationship with other people. What I want to do this week is kind of an introduction to the topic, and we're going to lay three foundation stones that everything else kind of builds upon. Now, as we moved into this new space and we're trying to work on some improvements in that space, we noticed that there were some places where the floor kind of sunk down in. And when we started to investigate that, I went underneath the, 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 the floor of the building in the crawl space and it's muddy and I found a bottle from 1894, it's so cool. And, and it's just gross down there. But I go and I look at the foundation and there's foundation problems. And listen, when you're 140 years old, everything just starts to sag a little bit. 
right? And this building had three different places where the foundations in the corners had just kind of deteriorated. And now the windows don't shut properly and the doors are going to scrape and nothing lines up, nothing's level, nothing's plumb. The building's not going to function like it needs to if that foundation isn't firm and strong. And everything you build on top of that is just going to be off a little bit. And so today we want to talk about three foundation stones that's going to build the conversation as we move into the future. As we go into the next couple of weeks, we're going to deal with like not sweating the small stuff. Then we're going to go into significant hurts. And finally, we're going to go into like life altering injustices. How do you deal with that kind of stuff? So here are the three foundation stones. If, if you have an orange Bible underneath, you want to follow along with that, that's rad. We're going to be in page 671 in Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, it's our gift to you. Please take it. Page 671 in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. This is what it says. It says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? up to seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So Peter's in relationship with other people and someone stole my fish and he's like, what do I do with that? And so he, he decides I'm gonna forgive them and I wanna be a forgiving kind of person. Actually, since he's an ancient Jewish person, their law was that you would forgive somebody three times after that, you know, you can just not forgive them after those three times. And so Peter is struggling with what you and I struggle with as well. And that is when someone does something wrong with us, what do we do with that? Like when they do it again, and when they do it again, wh what do I fill in that gap? How do, I, how do I manage that? And so he's actually stepping up to Jesus, and he's saying, I'm going to go double what's required and I'm going to add one. Like, I'm going to be really spiritual, Jesus. Do I forgive them seven times? And Jesus says, not seven times, but like 77 times. In other words, he's speaking in hyperbole. He's like, you may as well say, just do it a million times. Like, keep doing this. You should never stop doing it. It's a limitless thing. So here's the first foundation stone, right? If we don't understand this, everything else is going to sag on top of it. The first foundation stone is this, is that forgiveness it's not an act as much as it is a habit, a habit that's motivated by a realization. Jesus is saying this, like, if you're going to forgive somebody, it's never just going to be once. We like to say things like forgive and forget, but we can't forget because we're human beings. I can't not remember what you did to me. And so every time you hurt me and the ramifications of what you did come back up into my mind, into my heart, I'm going to have to learn and I'm going to have to choose to forgive you again. There's no such thing as once and done. There's no such thing as forgive and forget. The more painful the offense, the more I'm going to have to choose to forgive you. And so it becomes a habit or an instinct for us. So maybe you do something uh, small, you know, like I'm ta we're talking and you come and you bump into me and I pour hot coffee all over me and now I'm dealing with second and third degree burns or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's okay. And you come and you bring some rags to me and you help clean up my shirt. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, Pastor Scott. I'm like, it's, I, I get it. I love you. I forgive you. It's all right. It's a small thing. But let's say you do something to my wife, Jennifer, or goodness, you do something to my kids, or my daughter, right now, now we have a different situation, and you can come up to me, and you can say, I mean, I'm truly sorry, I really am sorry, and I can say, you know what, I, I love you, I believe you, I forgive you, 
And then later after church, when I'm laying on my couch trying to listen to David Attenborough to read Planet Earth and try to fall asleep, and now it's playing over in my head again, and I'm going to have to choose to forgive you all over again. And then when I'm tucking my daughter in at night and she's in tears because of what happened, I'm going to have to really choose to forgive you all over again. See how that, see how that works? The deeper the hurt, the more habitually I'm going to have to forgive you. It's not a once and done. It's a habit. It's an instinct. And so we kind of have to see this through that lens. It's this really important foundation stone. So, so we said it's, it, it's, it's a habit that's motivated by a realization. Jesus knows that we can't just forget about things, that we actually have to have a motivation for us to forgive habitually. And I want you to consider Ephesians chapter 432. It's going to be on the screen. It says, forgiving each other just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. So it's a habit. It's not an act. And it's motivated by this realization. God forgives me habitually. That the wrath and the weight of my offense, it's not just dismissed. It's not, oh, it doesn't matter. God doesn't say that. No, it's actually poured out upon Christ, and anytime you forgive somebody, anytime someone needs to forgive you, something has to absorb the consequences of that. Something has to absorb the relational discord that occurs, and in Christ, he absorbed the wrath that should have been poured out on me when he died on the cross, and when he suffered, he, he, he took on and atoned for what was, should have been mine. So my motivation then to forgive is, hey, wait a minute, God forgave me, he didn't have to, he did it because he's relational, and so my motivation is just as God has forgiven me, I'm going to choose to forgive you. And that's not once, it's over and over again. I mean, could you imagine, could you imagine if God was like, you know what, my system is the three strikes and you're out. You have one lustful thought, and you're like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And then he's like, okay, I forgive you. And then you have another lustful thought, and then you're like, I'm so sorry, Lord. And he's like, I forgive you. And you have it again, and he's like, well, three times you're out. You're going to hell. You know, you just can't help it. You're just having these lustful thoughts, and now you're having more lustful thoughts because your pastor's saying lustful thoughts from the platform, and you just can't help yourself. And so God just keeps forgiving us because that's his nature. That's who he is. And Jesus would look at and say, that's right. That's exactly the way that your relationship should be with other people as well. And so that's the first foundation stone. It's going to keep this thing from sagging. That it's not an act, it's a habit, and it's motivated by a realization of what God does with us. But here's, here's the second foundation stone. Is that forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not an impulse of emotion. This is a will thing. It's not an emotion thing. If you're not already there, turn, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, this is page 800 in the orange Bibles here. Ephesians 4, this is what it says. It says, get rid of, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
It's really interesting, uh, as we stepped into this building that we've been renovating, there was a fair amount of stuff left behind that we need to get out of the way. We had to get rid of it in order to move forward with the future of our church. And if we just left it sitting there, we wouldn't be able to move forward at all. So what we had to do is we had to go in and like the students came in and they did this and we had a dumpster and we had to tear it out and we had to get rid of it. Get rid of, it's fascinating. This is a directive from God. It's not a result of following him. Isn't that fascinating? He says, get rid of it. It's a to-do list. You get rid of all. It's an act of obedience. So instead of filling your heart and your mind with all the stuff that's going to keep you from moving forward in a godly way, instead of having anger and brawling, you fill yourself with compassion and with kindness. It's a directive. It's not a result. And we read a passage like this, and we might say, you know what? If I just walk close enough with God... If, if I was just a good enough Christian, if I was spiritual enough, you know, my bitterness and my anger and my rage and my malice, it'll, it'll go away. But it doesn't. Why? Well, because you have a memory. So that's why God says you've got to get rid of it. You've got to put it away. Now, for us as we read this, this is really hard because it seems like an, um, an impossibility because we tend to think of forgiveness like it's an emotion. Like somehow we don't have a choice in the matter so, so we'd look at this passage, and, and we'd, we'd say, well, listen, I can't control my feelings, so how can God tell me to feel that way? I can't help but feel that way, which, by the way, isn't true. I can't help but feel angry. I can't help but feel bitter against that person. Why would God tell me to do something that I don't have control over in the first place? Well, what if the foundation of what God's telling you to do? And what if the, how we presuppose forgiveness even works is wrong? What if forgiveness is actually an act of the will? What if you can choose? What, what if we're able to replace those feelings, especially, listen, especially as a follower of Jesus who has the spirit of God inside of us so that we can be transformed into his likeness? Look, forgiveness isn't an emotion. It's an act of the will. It's a decision that we get to participate. And listen, this is so powerful. Because it means that you actually have the power to change. And you're not simply a victim to whatever happens to you. Because listen, you cannot control what someone else does or does not do to you. The way I often say it is, you can't control what happens to you, but your response is your responsibility. And we have the ability to choose another path. Because it's not an emotion, it's an act of the will. And listen, unforgiveness is a lot like a building or a house that just needs to have stuff get, get rid of it. Because you leave that junk around, and now you're tripping over it, and you're like, well, there's already junk there. I'll just throw some more junk there. Right? Anyone else have that happen? You have a junk room, a junk drawer, a junk drawer in your kitchen? Have a, okay, I've got like two or three. Well, we'll just throw it in there. And now you have more and more junk just compiling. And so it builds upon itself. And when you do something to me, and I refuse to forgive you for that, I add to it. And then you do the next thing and I add to it again and then you do the next thing and I'm gonna add to it. And now all of a sudden it's starting to crush me and bitterness has gotten a hold on me and even when you are trying to do something with warm regard and care for me, I can't help but see anything but insidious behavior. When someone is legitimately trying to love you 
and then you would do nothing but attribute evil and ill intention? Like my heart does that when I choose to hang on to bitterness and don't get rid of it. And God says, listen, you can add to it or you can subtract from it. You have that power. That's going to be what our entire conversation is about next week. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be awesome. It'll change the way you interact with people in your life. But let's lock this first foundation stone in. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not an emotional response. And the, the third foundation block, here it is, is that forgiveness is ultimately not about our relationship with other people. It's about our relationship with God. Turn left in your Bible, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 14, this is page 661. This is a really difficult teaching of Jesus and we're just gonna look at it now and then we'll dive into it deeper in the weeks to come. Matthew chapter six, this is what it says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The core of what Jesus is saying is this. If you're unwilling to forgive somebody else, it's because if I'm unwilling, it's because I don't have a perspective on myself. I'm not seeing myself the way that I need to see myself. So I'm not receiving from God what I so desperately need. Have you ever heard of Walmart people? Walmart people is this phenomenon that people started to observe that when folks go to Walmart, they like barely put themselves together at all. And so you can just observe a whole heap of crazy that shows up inside Walmart. And so they're called Walmart people. A couple months ago, I was working in my wood shop and I was staining the top of a guitar with leather dye. And so I put, because I'm smart, I put on vinyl gloves, because that's what you should do when you're working with dye. So I put on vinyl gloves, and I dyed it brown, this real dark brown. And then all of a sudden, I get done, and I take off my gloves, and I can't figure out why, but that leather dye went straight through the gloves. And I have the darkest brown hands. I mean, it looks like my hands were covered in poo. I mean, it just did. Like, I walked in, and I tried to scrub it off, and my family's like, what happened to you? And I'm like, I, it's my day off, so my hair's everywhere. I've got sawdust all over me. I've got that leather dye, like, stained all over me. I was just a hot mess. My hands looked like poo. It was, it was bad. And I needed to make a run into Frederick, and so I went into Frederick, and because I'm a good husband, I call my wife and I say, I'm going right past Walmart. Do you need me to get anything? She goes, yeah, we're out of dog food. Now, I've got a sizably big dog. He's built like a tank. He eats a lot of food. And so I thought, I don't want to run out, so I'm going to buy two 40-pound bags of dog food. And so I get surgical gloves, some other things, and two things of dog food, and I put them in the cart, and, I, and it's, the place is packed, and so there's not enough cashiers. And I pull up behind somebody, and I, and I look, and there in front of me, is a Walmart person in the flesh. It's this lady, and her hair's crazy, and her makeup is like circa 1984, and she's wearing like sequins from top to bottom. And I look in her cart, and it's full of cat stuff, like cat treats and cat, like a scratching post and all sorts of tricks, you know, and food and kitty litter. I mean, I mean, I have no love for cats. Neither does Jesus because they're spawn of the devil, and she's probably. <laughs> buying all of this stuff for her cat hoard. She probably has 85 cats at home, right? And I'm just thinking, man. And I'm looking down at her, and I'm like, I am so dignified. I am a pastor, and this person is a hot mess. And I watch her. She checks out. She moves on with her time. And I pull up, and the guy takes a look in my cart, and he goes, wow, 
how much dog food are you buying? And he looks at me, and I realize in this moment, my hands look like they're covered in poo. I'm covered in dye. I've got sawdust all over. My hair's a complete mess. And I'm just realizing, I am the Walmart person. <laughs> like, he saw a Walmart person in the flesh that day. Why is it so easy to see in other people, but it's so hard to see it in ourselves? And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew. He's saying, if you're unwilling to forgive when people sin against you, that means that you've never received my forgiveness because people that are called by my name, people who are filled with my spirit, people who have given their lives to living and obeying me and being fully devoted to me, you're gonna be known for the things that I'm known for, and that's loving, and that's forgiving. He'd say, if there's one thing that's true about me, it's that I don't withhold forgiveness from you. In fact, I stepped out of heaven. In fact, I suffered and died on the cross, suffering in my own bodily fluids, suffocating in that. I died solely to forgive you and to reconcile you with God. And if you purposefully withhold forgiveness, when you decide I am going to be bitter and angry and I'm going to withhold affection and love and I'm going to act maliciously and I'm going to slander, Jesus would look at you and say, listen, you are not my child. And your sins have not been forgiven because transformed people act like me. And that does not reflect me in any way, shape, or form. Now, everybody look at me. I'm not talking about this being hard. I'm talking about us being unwilling. Forgiveness, listen, at its core has very little to do with what someone else does to me and has almost everything to do with how I interact with Christ. I can't control what other people do anyway. That's why Jesus said, look, you can't love God and hate your brother. You can't fill yourself with rage and bitterness at the same time as compassion and kindness and patience. You can't do it. Because when you receive my forgiveness, I'm gonna flush it out of you, and I'm not saying that it's not hard, but I'm saying that people of God are instinctively going to pursue living with someone else in a forgiving kind of way. It's what I want to do. It's what I need to do. It's what I have to do because when I step back and I look at it, I say, look at all that God has forgiven me from, and it's huge. And a lack of forgiveness absolutely kills our relationship with other people because it's killed our relationship with God. And so it has to start there. Who is Christ? How am I responding to him? And I promise you, my goal in the next couple weeks is not to prove to you that you need to forgive people because we've already done that. You can just like do a supervisory, just kind of like skim the Bible. You'll see it. My goal, though, as we talk about this is to ask the question, how do I do that? Because it's hard and it's confusing and it's challenging and it's nuanced. Now, listen, forgiveness is not the same as enabling other people. Forgiveness is not the same thing as mercy, and it's not a suspension of justice. So I can forgive you for something you've done, and there's still going to be the consequences of that. That's why forgiveness is not the same thing as trusting somebody either, because forgiveness is freely granted, but trust is earned. And forgiveness is not being passive, and it's not being a doormat. It's not having everybody kind of like walk over you and use you. That's not what forgiveness is. But forgiveness, and this is why it's so important, guys, it's the heart of Christ. 
It's that I'm going to release that person. I'm not going to hold it against them. And it's absolutely necessary for the sanity of our humanity. And you are going to go nuts, and I'm going to go nuts if we don't interject forgiveness into our relationships. So listen, if you live with, if you work with, if you're married to, if you play sports with another human being, this is something that you're going to have to just understand because it defines us and it directs us and it's a critical part of how God calls us to be. And I'm confident that in the next couple weeks, if we could open our minds to this, if we, could, if we could open our hearts to this, that it will just change everything. It will change how we interact with our spouses and our kids and our family members, your ex-spouse, with everybody. Because when I, when I talk about people that have hurt you, each and every one of us have an image that comes to our mind because we're not made to forget, but God has redeemed us, and so we are able to step in and forgive and release. But listen, this weekend, here's where it's gotta start. It's gotta start with us. It's gotta start that, that we remember that forgiveness is so much more about my relationship with God than it is with this other person. And in order to embrace forgiveness, I have to first receive it. I have to realize that I am the one that needs to be forgiven by God, but also from other people as well. Like how, how foolish have I been with other folks and how often have I hurt somebody else and I desperately wanted them to forgive me and maybe just maybe I need to step into forgiving someone else as well. That, 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 that's the framework and it has to start with our acknowledgement of our sin. Listen, that I am a rebel against God. I'm not just a mistake maker, I am a lawbreaker, and I've screwed it up more times than I've gotten it right. And if anyone could look into the depths of my heart and see how twisted and perverted and judgmental and hatred and jealous that, that space in me is, listen, it, it's a wicked place and it's egregious before God. But Christ came and he absorbed that wrath so that I don't have to. And there is forgiveness of my sin. And listen, that is the spark and the catalyst that lets us step into and forgive other people. Because listen, as much as Jennifer is a sinner, and I know she's cute, but she is. I can tell you about that. <laughs> like, she married a jerk. She married a selfish person. And as much as my three children sin and leave stuff out and do a half job and make me frustrated I'm a jerk and I leave stuff out all the time and I do a half job many times it has to start with us that I am the one that needs to be forgiven and so that's just the download that I want us to kind of deal with and and we're going to spend a few moments here in prayer and then I'm going to dismiss y'all and listen we're going to pray through that and don't don't check out yet stay here with us but listen if you're not a follower of Jesus yet if you don't know how you stand with God You've got to start from that place of saying, God, I want to be forgiven from you. I don't understand everything about you, but I want to. Will you come and make yourself known and real to me? I want God to guide and direct me. I want to be reconciled with him. You know what that is? That's you yielding to him, and he will bless that, and he will show and demonstrate himself to you increasingly, increasingly when you seek after him. If you would let him in, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. He doesn't force himself. You have to receive it. 
Your forgiveness of others has to start from that place where God has forgiven you. And when you've just come before him and you say, God, I get it. I see my brokenness. I know what a hothead, what a jerk I can be, and I want to be made right with you, and would you empower me to do that with other people? Listen, if you're not already in that space, I just, I, I ask you to step into that. And then listen, if you're already a believer, if that's who you are, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God is within us, and He wants to do that work in your heart. And listen, we're going to talk about things that are like, like kind of like the superficial, man, they left the dishes out kind of stuff, to like stuff that's really, really hard. Would you begin now just by saying, God, I know there's probably layers of this that I just need to resonate in. Would, you, would your Spirit come in and do a work in me? Like, can we all just pray that as we step through this in the next couple weeks? Could you imagine what would happen in our lives if we could let go of those hurts that have been just binding us down and that have been like this, this lead weight? Like we can't move on with our life until we get past this stuff. And some of us have just been trying to like to, to, to dismiss it, you know? It's like this junk in the corner of the room and I'm just not gonna look at it. And it builds and it builds and it builds and all of a sudden you're like this hurt hoarder. And your life is a mess and you can look good on the outside but if anyone stepped in that space, they just see it. What if, what, if you could forgot, what if you could find that kind of freedom and forgiveness? Can we just ask that God would take us there in the next couple weeks? Let's do that together here. Let's pray together. Lord, this is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff, and it's not superficial. It's not lightweight, and it's really significant. And yet, being free from bitterness, I don't know anyone that says, I want to be bitter. And yet I see it in my heart, and yet I see it in other people as I walk alongside them. God, for every broken marriage, would you interject forgiveness, and would it be founded on what Christ has done for us? For every prodigal child, for every wayward parent, God, would we interject forgiveness? And this is not even talking about trust and consequences. It's just releasing from our heart this work that needs to be done. And this isn't a one-week thing. This is like an ongoing thing because it's not, it's not a one-time act. It's a habit that happens every day. Holy Spirit, would you be present as we talk about this stuff together? Would you reveal this for us? And God, would we just, at the same time as we look at it, that we would remember how often we mess up and how glorious it is to be forgiven by other human beings, but to not have our sins held against us. That that would erupt in our hearts into both a catalyst of how we treat others and to a great symphony of praise to your glory and who you are and your character and your steadfastness and your love. And would we just reflect that a little bit in our relationships? God, would you bind the brokenhearted? Would you be present with us this week? Thank you, Lord, for our mothers that we get to celebrate today, for each of us that have a mom, which is everybody. God, thanks for them, and God, for any hurt in that space, for those that wish to be moms that can't be, for those that have children that have stepped away or aren't there anymore, <laughs> and just that, that's all of the dynamics of hurt that sometimes go along with a holiday like this. God, we just lift it up to your throne. We bring it before you. God, would you bring peace and comfort to those that need that here today, because there's a lot of that that's needed. 
God, we love you. We thank you. We pray your favor and your blessing on these people here today. God, would you provide for this church an increasing measure as we pivot? Pray, Lord, that um, we're able to see this community reached as uh, a part of our transition. God, give us a heart of worship, devotion, a heart of outreach. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.